friend of mine is here today. Perhaps you were here some years ago when Devin Webb came and led worship for us. He's, he's been here to sing for us throughout the years a number of times. And he called me recently and said, I'm going to be in your area. And if you need me, I'm available. I'll sing one song or I can preach or I can whatever. I said, um, I just put it before the Lord. And I felt instantly that it was, it was right. It was, I was to invite him to come. And I know now why. It was, it was clear in the first service. But Devin has worn a number of hats and had a number of titles in the time that I've known him. He is a husband. Ashley, yes. Ashley is his beautiful wife. He's a father. Father of four. He doesn't look old enough to be a father of four. In fact, he never ages, and I don't know really how he does that. And how's he stay so skinny for crying out loud? And sing so high. Devin has been an evangelist and one of the greats, in my opinion, traveling, crisscrossing our nation and really traveling around the world with the good news of the gospel. Devin has been a missionary and done a great job in the work of missions. He's a singer, a songwriter. He had a record deal some years ago in Nashville. I remember that. Neil and Webb, and they had some great airplay, yes. But he's got a new title, the most recent new position. God has stirred Devin and his wife, and he is now a church planter and a pastor. And I am so excited, Devin, about what God is doing and what God is about to do through your life. La Palma Christian Center, would you put your hands together and let my friend, Pastor Devin Webb, know that we're happy he's here. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Holy are you and your light shines through piercing oh my soul and here i bow down and here i surrender to you and to your Your life, it frees us, so come and make us whole. And I'm so thankful that you're so faithful, so come and take control. Spirit is grafted in your love wherever you 
religion. Aren't you thankful this morning? It has nothing to do with religion. Jesus says, come to me. Get, a, get away with me and you'll recover your life. The, the inference there is that you've lost your life. Otherwise, it wouldn't need recovering, friend. He says, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace because I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly doesn't that sound good listen it's not just great verbiage from eugene peterson that my friend is the reality of the life that you can live every moment freely he whom the sun sets free and lightly his burden his yoke is easy his strength is perfect his strength is perfect. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Oh, I tell you what, we could really just pray and send you home and it'd be good. I'd be fine with that. My goodness, isn't it so good? It's so, just the church. Don't you love the church? You know, it's the hope of the world. You know, before Jesus left this earth, he looked at the riffraff. He looked at Peter, James, and John, and I'll never understand that. He, he in all of his power, could have dispelled the message of truth around the globe. And before he leaves this earth, he looks at them and he says, now, now you go finish the job. I don't get that. 
he looks at people like me and Pastor Steve and Michael, and he says, okay, you, you go finish it. He entrusts this message to you because the church is the hope of the world. And it's the vehicle, it's the avenue by which God chooses to save this broken world. I'll never understand it, but he uses the foolish to confound the wise. <laughs> in all of our creativity, in all of our ingenuity, in all of our intellectualism, Jesus, he confounds the wise with the things. And I'm just honored today to be on that list of the foolish. I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll take that title any day of the week. So thank you, Pastor Steve. Uh, you know, in, in ministry life, we often hear people call people friends, right? Yes, they're, they're a friend in the ministry, right? I am here this morning to, to speak that he is really a friend um, who has spoken encouragement and uh, support into my life. You know, you have a lot of people that love you. Oh, we love your voice. Oh, we love your ministry. You have a few people that believe in you. And there's a difference. And I'm honored, humbled that your pastor believes in me. What, a, what an amazing gift you have. And some, sometimes it's good for someone to just come along and remind you how good you have it. And I'm here this morning to remind you, you have it pretty good. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, as Pastor Steve mentioned, we have four kids. Uh, my wife and I have been married almost 18 years. It'd be 18 years on March 9th. be 18 years. We started dating when I was 17 and she was 16. We got married at 20. And God help us. We have four kids. Uh, someone said having four kids is like if you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> I want you to get that in your mind. I don't know whether, do I keep my own head above water? Do I keep theirs? I'm just, Jesus, help me. That's what having four kids is like. We have 12, 9, 4, and 1, three boys and a girl. Our girl is the 9-year-old. We are in diapers to middle school right now. Gee, what were we thinking? We weren't. Not clearly, obviously. Well, don't you love the Bible? Don't you love his word? Let's go to it this morning, Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to just look at a short seven verses that contain so much for us this morning, and I am praying. You know, I was telling Pastor Steve, I told the folks in the first service, this was not what I wanted to say this morning. I, I had such good ideas for God. I, they were great. And yet he kept shooting them down and telling me that's not what I was supposed to say. So I pray that God will use this. The uh, heading in my Bible, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. The heading in my Bible, the little syntactical heading over the paragraph there says, The faith of the Canaanite woman. And we're going to start there in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. By most scholars' estimation, Jesus was retreating. He was getting away. He was most likely uh, getting away from ministry for a short period of time to refresh himself. The Bible uh, often calls them lonely places. The King James Version calls them deserts. 
And they're not deserts in the sense of sand and arid lack of moisture, but rather they are places where he could just get alone with God. The NIV at times calls them certain places. I don't know uh, if you have these places in your life. You know, I have certain places where I meet with God. Um, Places, and it may be my traditionalism, it may be that I was raised in a pastor's home. Don't hold that against me. But I have certain places where I feel like I can more easily meet with God. And Jesus goes away to a place. He goes to these lonely places not to be alone, but that he can meet with the Father and replenish himself and the virtue that had flown out of him. And he goes there just to get away. Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. She was a Gentile. Let's make a note of that. And she cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, let's stop there for just a moment. Automatically, my interest is piqued. And I think I would be amiss if I were to just... The the father in me can't read that line and just skip over that. Um, How how in the world does a child get demon-possessed? With, with all of the books that have been written on demons and angels and for all of the insight that we've been given through authors and brilliant people, a lot of that world, if we're honest, is still very foreign to us. That other world that Paul wrote about in Ephesians, that other world of principalities and powers and darkness, it's mysterious. And we're not really fully aware of the activities of demons and angels and how they operate, but one thing we do know, they do operate. And we're foolish if we just close our spiritual eyes and act like angels and demons can figure that out on their own and we should pay no attention to it. I I really do believe this, that Satan and the underworld will supposedly leave people alone for periods of time, for weeks, for months, maybe even years, just leave them alone to lull them to sleep. And you're going down your merry way down the road of life, totally oblivious to the fact that as surely as there is a God that loves you, there is a Satan that wants to destroy you. And that Satan was in war with God long before you were here. And one of the ways he strikes the heart of God is by striking his children. As parents, we understand that. We can be going down the merry path of life, and I really believe off into the woods, off to the side where I can't see him. While I can't see him, he is very aware of me. And I do believe that Satan often for for years will bide his time. And from the wilderness, from the place where he's unseen and unrecognizable, I believe that he follows us along the path of life, waiting, biding his time for that place of vulnerability in your life. You know, friend, he always comes at the... The wrong time. Have you ever noticed that? When you're tired, when you're alone, when you're depressed, the lies of the enemy are so readily there, aren't they? And I think he measures us for intersections. I think he's smart enough to know that there are times when we aren't strikable, and I think he's also smart enough to know that it's best that he just leave us alone at those times. But he's not leaving us alone. 
In his mind, he's measuring us for an intersection, and he always hits us at the moment of vulnerability. Hear me today. Satan is an opportunist, and he's opportunistic in his attacks against you and against me. The Bible, in Luke 14, remember Jesus is tested, and after Satan sees Jesus' ability to rebuff him consistently, and after he saw that he had no inroad into his spirit, what's it say? The Bible left him, the Bible... Satan left him. Listen, don't miss this last line. Satan left Jesus until an opportune time. So something tells me that if he's measuring a perfect Jesus, he, he maybe, just maybe, he might be measuring imperfect people too. What? Measuring you. Jesus was able to rebuff him in his perfection. And I, I don't know about the psychology of demons. I do know that they hate to not be inhabiting something. You know, so much to the point, remember when Jesus cast the demon out of the man at Gadara? That the demons, ple- they beg to be cast into something else. They need it for their security, for their, they have to be habitating something. And listen, and again, if this isn't true, then the whole thing's a fairy tale. But, but if the whole thing's not a fairy tale, if this isn't a myth, if this is truth and the Bible is real, then we would do well to know it. Amen. That's why Amen. even you know, when our kids were babies, our older ones, of course, we still have babies, but when my 12-year-old, when I would lay him into the crib, I would put my hand on his head and on his heart. I would pray, Jesus... By the blood that you should protect his mind and protect his spirit, protect his heart. Why? You say, well, he's a baby. He doesn't know what's going on. There was, there was a baby girl. There was a woman and her daughter somehow, some way got demon-possessed. It's amazing in Scripture to see how many people came to Jesus because of their kids. I don't think any of us as parents misunderstand what was happening in the heart of that woman when she, driven by the need for her child, says, Lord, have mercy on me. There's no greater pain in all the world than the the pain your child feels. And kids, you don't believe us when we say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Guess what? It does. We, We would take it all. And when this woman stood in for her child and said, Lord, have mercy on me, what she was saying above all is, will you you help my little girl? It's also amazing in Scripture to see how God takes what the enemy has intended for evil in somehow, some way in his economy. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, the good and the bad, you know, I used to think I had these good things in my life, and then over here I had these bad things, and they would just kind of parallel one. No, no, Jesus, he takes the good and the bad and he takes all things and he works them somehow, some way for the good. I think everyone in this room could agree that many of the things that have happened to us, even the things that we would categorize as the worst things of our lives, the worst pain of our life, We've watched God not only take those bad things and neutralize them, but we've watched God to the extreme take the worst thing that's ever happened to us and make it the the best thing that's ever happened. How? 
the worst thing that ever happened to this woman is her daughter becoming demon-possessed. And I don't know, I don't know what that looked like. But I want us to put yourself in that situation. I, I don't know what, how that got lived out in, in that life uh, of this woman and her daughter. There must have been nights. There had to have been nights when that little girl screamed. And I don't know what it was like for that mother three or four times in the middle of the night to go into that child's bedroom and, and lay on top of her little girl. Put her body on top of her child and hold her flailing arms and her legs. How many times did that woman lie on top of her little girl and say, God, have mercy? I don't know. And yet, the Bible says that in a way, that pain became a gift to this parent. Because the great need of this parent became the very thing that drove her to a God that she needed more than anything in her life. Perhaps it was that great need that drove her to God that otherwise she would have never come to. The Bible says quite often, Mark 5, Matthew 10, Luke 6, several places, the Bible says that people would resort unto Jesus. Did you hear that? They would resort. Last, last chance. The, the, the very last thought. You know, one time my... Uh, my son was sick, and I was getting him put in bed, and uh, I made sure that he had his little pail there. You know, parents, you know, this little bucket here. If you wake up, please get to the bucket. Please get to the bucket. And his little things that he got to shoot up his nose so he could breathe, and everything's there. And I said, okay, buddy, you good? Okay, good. And I got about halfway out of the room, and my son said, my, my oldest, God, I love him. I got halfway out of the room, he goes, hey, Dad. And I go, yeah, he goes, Aren't you going to pray? Very good. You, you passed the test. Very good. Very good, son. God, I'm proud of you. We resort unto Jesus, don't we? Last ditch effort. Clearest text, of course, Mark 5. Jesus on his way to heal a little girl again, a daughter of Jairus. And Jesus was going to heal this little girl. And the Bible says that this woman came to Jesus. And don't miss what the Bible says about this woman. The Bible said she spent everything she had on doctors. The Bible says something we often overlook. It says that she spent everything she had in trying to find an answer. She had endured much at the hands of the physicians. How many of us can, can relate? How many of us have tried, as Pastor Steve has already talked about this morning, we've tried to find our relief, our solace, our answer in everywhere else, everyone else but God. And not only did we not find our answer there, but we often suffered much. She looked everywhere but to Jesus, and Jesus and Luke said, if you keep, if you keep trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. Most of us, I know that I am, are hard-headed enough that we have to experience the loss and the pain when we come to Jesus as a last resort, the great thing about Jesus, thank, thank God he's not like us. He's, he's different than us. That when we finally resort unto him, Jesus never says, well, hello, Johnny, come lately. Sure. After you've tried drugs and after you've tried eating disorders and after you've tried power and after you've tried intellectualism and after you've tried it all, here you are. After you've tried everything. You know, that, that really hurts my feelings. No, Jesus. Jesus never said, you know, you should have tried me first. No. 
Jesus always looked at the people that showed up broken and battered, you and me. He looked at us and he knew we'd suffered enough. He never beat us over the head or guilted us into something, never raked us over the coals. All we ever got from Jesus was, oh, I'm glad you got here, <laughs> right? The Bible says she resorted unto Jesus, last resort. Many resort unto Jesus, and the heartbreak of their lives was the very thing that caused them to resort to Jesus. Their demon-possessed child, their incurable disease, the worst thing that had ever happened to them became the best thing that had ever happened to them because that became the very thing that drove them to God. The Bible, remember the children of Israel? Come to the Red Sea, they get to the edge of the Red Sea, they look at this great expanse of water and they say, God, what are you trying to do? The Bible says that they began to complain and this is what they said. Were there not enough graves back in Egypt that God would bring us out here and sadistically torture us and kill us? A little further down the road, you remember what they say? The Bible says that they were reflecting on their experience there in Egypt and they said, back in Egypt, we had big pots full of meat. And every time I read that, I go, they're crazy. They were in slavery. They were getting beaten and they were starving. I want to give you another trick of the devil, he will rewrite the history of your life. And about the time you're serving Jesus and things get rough, he will remind you of how good it was before you came to Jesus. And he's lying to you. Right. I want to remind all of us in this room, it wasn't that good before you came to Jesus. Satan rewrites history and he puts big pots full of meat in your mind that weren't even there. It wasn't that good. He's lying to you. You were starving and getting beaten. You were in slavery, friend. Hear me today. If there's anyone in this room that's getting ready to go back because things have been getting too rough serving Jesus and it's getting too hard finding deliverance and it's just too difficult getting on the other side, I want to remind you, you weren't full in Egypt. You were miserable and starving. And so here they are, the children at the Red Sea, and someone says, well, don't look now. And they look behind, and here comes Egypt. I mean, if the troubling present isn't enough to deal with, now you've got to deal with your past. Right? Ever been there? I mean, today's enough to deal with, God. And now you've got this past that wants to haunt you, this stuff from your past. And there are people here today that at any moment... There are things in your life that have been covered under the blood of Jesus. You've been forgiven from it, but other people have access to it. And it can come back to haunt you real quick. And you're always wondering. It'll wear you out emotionally. Wondering, looking over your shoulder, wondering, I wonder when they're going to use that information. I want to tell you why the past comes back to haunt you. It comes back for one reason. It wants to take you back to where you were. And one of the lassos is guilt and shame. Listen, your past isn't your past if it's affecting your present. It's your present, friend. If your past is influencing how you think, and when can I say that, and I wonder who's going to be there, and it's affecting how you live today, it's not your past. It's your present. And your past comes back to haunt you, to take you back to where you were. So here comes Egypt, the past, and I want to catch this. All the while, they're cussing and grumbling, complaining. They're getting closer and closer to Canaan. 
They're looking over their shoulder, worried to death about Egypt, and Egypt is serving its purpose. Because the worst thing that had ever happened to them was being used by God to drive them to their destiny. Your troublesome past has the uncanny ability, ability, if you allow it to, to drive you to the mercy seat of Jesus. And God has the uncanny ability to take the worst experiences of our lives to drive us. He takes the Egypts of our lives, the demon-possessed children, the sickness of our lives. He takes all of the stuff. There was this woman that came to Jesus on this day that probably would have never come to Jesus unless a great need drove her there. And when she left, she left not only with a daughter healed, but she left with a Jesus found. She got far more from him, just like we all do. Far more than she ever bargained for, driven by the need. Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, and she cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Verse 23, on, on the surface... My, my knee-jerk reaction, I know that it's not, but verse 23 is one of the most troubling passages to me in the New Testament. Looking back on it in hindsight, looking at my walk, I know that it's not, but it strikes me that way at first glance. I, I don't know what it took. I don't know what courage and strength. She, I've seen what it takes for someone to walk down an aisle in front of a few dozen people that they may or may not know. I've seen the courage that it takes for people to come and respond and kneel at an altar. I don't know what kind of strength she had to muster up in a Gentile setting to come to Jesus and ask for help. I don't know what it felt like with 12 men looking over his shoulder with disdain. I don't know what it was like for the, There seems to be nothing accommodating about Jesus or the disciples. This was not a comfortable situation for her. But when your need gets big enough, somehow, some way, you get to Jesus. Yeah? And the Bible says that she came to Jesus and cried, help me, it's my little girl. And then verse 23, but he answered her not a word. This morning, for our remaining moments, I want to just consider a couple of simple thoughts Here's, here's a question. How have we misinterpreted the silence of God? What do you do when you've taken the greatest heartbreak of your life to God and his first response is nothing? It's what the sages of the church refer to and call the silence of God. Statement number one, very simple thought. Silence does not equal a lack of concern. It shouldn't be interpreted as indifference or apathy. What do you do when you finally muster up enough strength and enough faith to come to God and cast your entire life on him and you say, help me, and the Bible says that Jesus looked at her and he looked at her. <laughs> Strikes me as a little strong. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase trying to capture what this woman was feeling, said that Jesus ignored her. And I don't think that's what was happening in the heart of Jesus, but I do think that's what was the only way she could interpret what was happening. And he said not a word. What do you do? She heard all the reports all the way up in Tyre and Sidon. She knew he was healing everyone. 
She gets up enough strength and she says, it's not me, Lord. It's my little girl. I have to lie on top of her at night. She bites and screams. She wants to die. How does Jesus ignore, how does Jesus hear that story and say nothing? Most of us have lived long enough with God that you've experienced those times of silence, if you're honest. And on the other side, we're able to look back and go, oh, of course, that's why. And I say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'll never doubt you again until he goes silent again. And I'm going, where are you? Don't you hear me? And then I get a couple years down the road and I look back and I go, oh, of course. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'll never doubt you again until If we're honest, I guess until I turn 90 and I'll finally quit doubting him and I'll just die and go on and be with him. Silence does not equal a lack of concern. Watch this. You're not the first person to pour your heart out to Jesus and get nothing in return immediately. What does she do? Verse 23, but he answered her not a word. He ignored her, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. She cries out after us. Now now she not only has to deal with the silence of Jesus, she has to deal with the church folk explaining the silence of Jesus. Oh, we're good at that. (laughs) If you just just had enough faith, listen, His immediate silence does not equal a lack of faith. It's hard enough to bury a loved one that you've just lost to leukemia without having all the church folk lining up explaining to you why he didn't do what he didn't do and why he did do what he did do. You don't want a book or a cliche or a platitude at that point. You just want to get alone with God and then you're angry at God. You don't want to. And God understands it all, friend. But here she is. She just poured her guts out to Jesus. She's waiting for a response. Jesus is silent and the disciples, they're the spiritual ones. They're the chosen ones with their mouth bent to Jesus. Looking at her, they're saying, Jesus, could you just get rid of her? We're on sabbatical, Jesus. We've been giving so much. We just need to rest. We... The the inconvenience. Listen, if, if the church ever gets bothered by the needs of people, let's just shut it down and do something else. Hmm? Who is the church? You think the church is a building? If, when the church gets bothered by the needs of people, don't even call yourself a Christian. I'd rather not. It, w- it will be inconvenient. Very rarely will it work perfectly in your schedule. And that's where they were, the spiritual ones. They looked at his nonverbal response and they thought they had it figured out. They thought they're siding with him and they say, Lord, could you just get rid of her? And now she not only has to deal with the silence of God, but now she has to deal with Amateur theologian, armchair quarterbacks, explaining to her what he was doing. Listen, his immediate silence does not equal a lack of faith. Verse 24, 
But he answered, finally, he says something. And he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus is making a theological statement here. The early part of his ministry, he was not building his church. He was offering the kingdom first to Israel. And theologically, true to his word, Jesus was only ministering to the house of Israel. He had not gone up to Tyre and Sidon to a Gentile setting yet at this point. And Jesus looked at her and he said, theologically, technically, I can't deal with you right now. I've come to minister to Israel. Israel will reach you and they will do that in their time and their season. But I've got to reach them first. This isn't the time or the place. And the woman looked at him and she said, this isn't the time or the place for my daughter to be demon possessed either, Jesus. <laughs> and this might not be the time or the place for you theologically, but it's the time and the place for me realistically. And I'm not going to get, watch this. He looks at her and he says, I was not sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She didn't look at him and go, well, I'm glad you finally told me that. I would have never come to you if I would have known that. No. She didn't say, well, I'm sorry for my lack of doctrinal purity. Forgive me for not having good theology. No. <laughs> she said, I appreciate the good theology, Jesus. Thanks. Verse 25. She came and she worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. That's interesting, isn't it? We so... We so narrow worship down, we make worship out to be... Now listen, if anybody loves worship, I love worship. I love that about your pastor. He loves worship, right? But we so narrow it down. It's that experience when songs are playing and music is going and people are singing and we're reading words off of beautiful screens. Amen. Hallelujah. The act of worship here was, Lord, I need you. Help, help me. There's no greater compliment and no greater expression of admiration than when somebody says, I need you. Now they can tell you that you're wonderful and mighty and majestic and powerful and good and glorious and rose of Sharon and bright morning star and beginning and the end and lily of the valley. But if they don't want to spend time with you, if they don't have an admiration for you, it's not worship, friend. It's just words. The greatest expression of worship is the one that she gave, and that was, I got to have you. I need you. Help me. Look at it again. Lord, help me. Verse 26. And Jesus answered, and he said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Her pain drove her to God. She pours her heart out to God, and God keeps silence. What do you do with the silence of God? Here's a good one. What do you do when he's not silent and you don't like what he says? I mean, at this point, she's like, Lord, would you please say something? And he says, I don't give my bread to dogs. And she's like, Lord, would you please be quiet? Thank you. I liked it better when you weren't talking. Rich young ruler, you remember? He comes to Jesus. Hey, what do I have to do to serve you? Jesus says, you really want to know? Yeah, lay it on me. Sell it all and give it to the boar and follow me. What does the Bible say? He went away sad, sorrowful. Why? Because he thought he wanted God to talk. And when God got done talking, he realized, I don't want God talking. <laughs> what do you do when he's silent? What do you do when he's not silent? You don't like what he says. The only testimony I have here is this incredible woman. 
She says, Lord, help me. He replies, I was not sent to the house of Israel except for the house of Israel. She replies, I'm not taking my demon-possessed child home because of a theological problem. She knew enough about God that he always put human need above theology. There are times when God rises above technicalities and meets human need in exceptional ways. And somehow this woman had it figured out. She'd read through all this stuff. She says, Lord, help me. He answered and said, I'm not going to give the bread to dogs. In verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. <laughs> and this, I'm telling you, this woman, she has great faith. Verse 28, I love this. The disciples are leaning on Jesus. Can't you see them? They've already said, send her away, right? Jesus said, I've come for the house of Israel. And they're like, amen. They're waving. Good work. She cries out, help me. And Jesus says, I don't give the bread for the children of Israel to dogs. And they're like, good, strong word. Amen. Whew. Good. Glory. And about the time they're smiling and the woman cries out and says, I don't have to have bread on a silver platter. I'll take a crumb because I believe in my heart that a crumb that a dog eats from your table is better than a whole loaf at the world's. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus, he has, to, he has to smile. You see the disciples, they just knew he's about to get her. Oh, she should have gone away the first time. And the disciples are like, oh, boy, okay, well, Lord, go ahead. You get her. Get her. Give her truth. Tough love. Tough love. And he says, woman, I haven't seen faith like that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the disciples have to get a little flushed. And Jesus points at Peter, James, and John and says, woman, these guys don't have a fraction of that faith. Of course, now Peter's feelings are hurt, right? Because Peter's feelings were always getting hurt. <laughs> I'll never leave you, Lord. Just wait, Peter. Verse 28. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Here's what I want to say to you in our closing moments. I know it's time. I, I've taken the roundabout way to get there. Everyone in this room has needs great needs. There are people in this room today that have unimaginable pain in their life. There are so many needs in this room. I've got needs. You have needs in your life. And every now and then the needs get great enough and we get smart enough to take them to Jesus. And by the time that we get through with him, we realize that we had a greater need than the need that even drove us there. We leave thankful for the little need that drove us to find out that what we really needed was more than our needs met. We needed him. More, more than a blessing. We needed the blesser. And there are people in this room that have been begging God. That's the truth. I know it. You might say, well, you don't, you don't have to beg God. Maybe you don't, but that's where some of us are. I don't think he's up there holding out on me and making me do all this stuff. It wasn't so much about me begging God as it was me getting to the end of myself where he can take over, just calling out to God. And then when you know you've given it all and prayed as hard as you can and you know he's going to open up his mouth and fix it, he looks at you and he doesn't say a word. 
What do you do when he's silent? I'll tell you what she did. She looked beyond the superficiality of his nonverbal response, and she saw his heart. And when the disciples thought that they had him figured out, she was the one that really did. She looked at him and said, Lord, you can talk theology all you want to, but you love people more than you love theology. That's a good question for us. Do you love theology? Or do you love people? Because sometimes people will mess your theology up. The equations don't always work out. And the disciples were so churchy that they thought all he was doing was talking theology. She knew what he was doing. He was about to prove a point, not to her, but to them. These were the same guys. Remember these guys? These were the same guys that walked by the blind guy. They didn't have enough compassion to put a penny in his pocket. And they stopped Jesus and they say, this is a theological conundrum, Jesus. Who sinned, him or his parents? Remember? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question, boys. A human life is never a theological problem. I love him. And Jesus turned to the guy and he said, forget about them for a second. And he raised him up and he made him whole. Hmm. She says, Lord, help me. And the disciple says, didn't you hear him? Jesus said, woman, I can't give the bread, the whole loaf to dogs. And the disciples smiled and smirked because they were the whole loaf people, right? Oh, it's so nice to be the whole loaf people. The woman looked at him and she said, you're not fooling me. I know you and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be a little dog under your table. I'll take the crumbs. And Jesus smiled and he said, get up, you're not a dog and I'm not giving you crumbs. And he gave her the whole loaf of healing. <laughs> now, here's what I want to tell you. You know what great faith is? Great faith is when you believe in God enough to look past the surface of what looks like non-response. You look past the surface. When God was silent, she looked through it. The disciples said, his silence means he doesn't love you. And she said, oh, I know you love. She looked through. Finally, with the cat and mouse stuff out of the way, the disciples are left confused and Peter's feelings are hurt. Jesus smiled her and he said, I like that kind of faith. You never gave up on reality. You never gave up on the truth. From the very beginning, you knew that I loved you. You knew that I loved that girl even more than you could. Romans 8. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Believe that. Say amen. amen. Listen, if God has been silent to you for a long time, here's my advice. Don't stop praying. If God told you something that you just can't figure out, that seems like some deep theology, just keep praying. Simply choose to worship him and say, help, help me. I need you. And after everybody in the church has explained to you why you can't get your answer, you look at Jesus and say, Lord, you know the rules. You know them better than I do, but you're God, and you can make an exception anytime you want to, and I'm asking you for an exception. How many exceptions do we have in the room this morning? He made one for me.
And the Bible says that Jesus looked at her and he said, that's great faith. You knew that I loved you. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. Before you get aggravated at him, before you give up, ask him again. If he doesn't answer you tomorrow, you keep believing. You have great faith. There was a, an inscription that they found on the writing of the inside of a wall in one of the concentration camps during the Holocaust. And it reads like this. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God even when he is silent. You know what great faith is? Great faith is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, even, even demon-possessed little girls, little ones, to him belong. They're weak. But he is strong. Let's, let's just bow our heads and clear our thoughts for just a moment. I know it's time. Your stomach is telling you it's time. But of all of the things this morning that we don't want to rush, it's this moment here. I, I don't know what needs you have. I, I know that there are real needs in this place this morning. If you're, if you're in this room and you've been praying a prayer for a long time, I'm not talking about silly stuff. I'm, I'm talking about a son that's been away from the Lord for a long time. I'm talking about the court date that you don't want to see, the bankruptcy that you never planned for, the, the family member that you don't think can be healed, the, the marriage that you're convinced is over. I don't know what your deal is. I know what keeps me up at night. But if you've been experiencing Jesus not answering a word, or if you've been experiencing Jesus telling you things that you just don't want to hear, I want you to notice her, her prayer never changed because her need never changed. She just kept saying, she's, she's demon-possessed, Jesus. You've got you to gotta heal that. And if you've, if you've got a prayer like that, You've tried, you've tried holistic, you've tried homeopathic, you've tried every prescription that they told you. You've suffered much. Listen, Jesus is waiting for you to resort to him today. <laughs> you, you look out the window waiting for your son, your daughter. You keep wondering, what's it going to take? When will they realize they've hit, bo hit bottom, Lord? Uh, there are young people here today that have great gifting, great talent, great creativity, and yet they lack such direction and purpose. And you've been wondering, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to? What, what is it that my life is supposed to be about? Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Her prayer never changed. She never gave up on the fact that Jesus loved her. 
His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can carry on raised in His power the weak become strong Pastor Steve His strength is perfect His strength There are some here today. You are at a point of desperation. God, I need your touch. My situation, my home, my family, my body, whatever it is, keep pressing. Press, press, press. Get your miracle. If you're here today and you're at a point of desperation and you need a miracle, stand on your feet right now. Hallelujah. You see, God is able, (laughs) even at the last moment for us, how he'll, he'll do it, I don't know. When he'll do it, I don't know. But don't give up. Don't give up. He specializes in turning it around. Maybe he's trying to test your faith today. How badly do you want it? Will you get mad and turn away that God didn't speak? Or when he did, he didn't say what you wanted? That's what the enemy wants. Don't you dare turn away. You just stand your ground. Say, God, I need, I need your touch. Pastor Devin, I want you to come and pray over our people today. There's an anointing on you to preach this word, but I believe there's an anointing on you to pray a breakthrough prayer. If you're standing Just cup your hands toward heaven right now. Your breakthrough's coming. Your breakthrough's coming. Come on, lift your hands and lift your faith. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. Yes, Jesus. And he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think or even imagine. Even in your mind that you think the outcome, what that needs to look like in in your perfect world, he will do more than that. He will do above and beyond more than you could even dream or think. And with open hands today, you, you release the anger, the disappointment, the frustration, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. You're releasing that. You're letting it go. It's been the hindrance to what God wants to do in your life. You're letting it go. 
You see him answering all of the other ans all the other prayers around you, and you're thinking, God, what are let it go. Let let it you let God deal with him. You deal with God on your own. And you just open up your hands this morning and by by faith, by faith, the faith that will make you whole, the the persistence of your faith today will make you whole. Father, today. We put our trust in you. We ask forgiveness for thinking that we could pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and just go ahead and get on through it. Father, what you're asking for is the admittance of our weakness so that your strength could be poured out in this place today. Father, we come to you saying we are weak, we are needy, we have nothing without you. You are everything. We depend on you, God. We lean into you this morning. We ask forgiveness for looking elsewhere, for looking to other people, to looking for other books. We, we ask forgiveness for looking all the other places and resorting unto you this morning, Father. But we know you're waiting with open arms and saying, oh, I'm glad you got here. I'm glad you got here. Father, bring healing, bring wholeness. Father, for the marriage, for the ones that aren't even communicating right now. They're not only experiencing your silence, but the silence of the one that they committed their life to. Father, by the power of your spirit, I pray that you would bring wholeness and healing and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for what you're, you're doing even right now and what you're going to continue to do. I pray blessing over these people, wholeness. May they walk into their full purpose and destiny and look back on this moment and go, oh, I get it. I get it, God. I get it. Lord, we trust in you today. We believe that your word is for us today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Everyone standing. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. Help me sing this, Pastor Devin. <laughs> carry us yes. when we can't carry on raised in his power the weak become strong <laughs> that's us today church yeah that's us today his strength is oh come on lift your hands and thank him today his strength is perfect his strength is perfect. Hallelujah. Oh, his strength is perfect. When our strength is gone. Thank you, Lord. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in his power. Is perfect. His strength is perfect. So glad. So glad. Come here, my friend. I love this kind of friend, too. <laughs> I 
Pastor Devin is the kind of friend that I don't have to call every week. He doesn't have to call me every week. He's, he's a busy man. A lot, lot going on right now. But when we connect, we are connected. There is no question. But I want to commit to you to be more invested and more connected. Um, I think you need it, but I know I need it. And so um, let's do that. Let's do that. God gave a word to Pastor Devin, and I want to reiterate it because I think you need to hear this. And the word was this, church. It was out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. Isn't that good? A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. It's your time. And I don't know exactly what God said, but it's something like this, that he had been putting on you and into you all that you would need for this time of planting. And he's now going to pull out of you all of that goodness. And there will even be some things that will surprise you that he put there, but you haven't needed it until now. And as you step to a place of courage, as you step to a place of obedience, God takes the key and unlocks the door and out comes all of this goodness that people will be astounded. They've, they've not seen this side of leadership from you because you didn't need it until now. But God put it there from the very beginning. From birth, God had put deposits in you that now he's going to open up and use. Hallelujah. We thank you, God, for this man of God. Give me my pastors up here right quick. Come here, guys. Let's pray for Pastor Devin. Come here, Elliot. Help me pray. My God, there's such an anointing on you, Pastor. There's such an anointing on your life. God is pleased. God is, God is pleased with what you are doing. And Lord, we just lay our hands on Pastor Devin, Lord, and we thank you for his life. We thank you for his willingness to serve you, to go really anywhere, to do anything, to preach it, to sing it, to whatever, God. And we pray, Lord, that now, somebody say now, hallelujah, now, God, now is the time. This is the day. This is the season. Hallelujah. And we pray, Lord, for this plant, this church plant, Lord, the seeds, God, that will be scattered. We ask, Lord, for a harvest of souls, Lord. We pray for ministry, Lord, healing to come forth from these hands. It is you, Lord, but you said we would lay hands on the sick and they would be healed, Lord. I pray for a stirring of the gifts of the Spirit on the inside. Hallelujah. Fan to flame, Lord. Fan, fan into life and ablaze, Lord, the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit on the inside of him, Lord. Quicken him, Lord, that he would be so sensitive to your leading, to your voice, to your prompting. And we pray, Lord, for a harvest of souls in this region of Tennessee. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the good, good work that you're going to do and you're already doing. Amen. 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 Isn't that good? I want you to get an offering. Because now we are going to plant in a church plant. You need a harvest, church. We always need a harvest. Every day we need a harvest. And so if you want a good harvest, you need to be planting a good seed. I believe this is good soil. I believe it's already producing good fruit. 
So I want you to give generously in this offering. It's just simply a love offering for Devin Webb. And I would like you to make, if you're writing a check, make it payable to LPCC. And we're going to make sure to bless Pastor Devin. Amen. Come, ushers. Father, we thank you for the good work that you're doing in Pastor Devin and Ashley and their children and this team that you've put together. We ask for your blessing. We ask God for favor in the city with the officials. Amen. Favor with the neighbors, God. We pray for abundance. Somebody say abundance. We pray for abundance, Lord, in every way, financial and otherwise. Let abundance come, Lord. And let this be an easy burden, Lord. It is a burden, but if it's your burden, if it's your yoke, it should be easy and it should be light. So we pray, Lord, the burden and the yoke to be easy and light and give them souls in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I'm glad I came to church today. I don't know about you. Anybody else glad they came to church today? We have our life groups, of course. I want you to get plugged in if you're not already plugged in. The majority of our church is already plugged in to life groups. If you're not, please, please get plugged in as soon as possible. It's really, really an awesome, awesome ministry of our church that I want you to be a part of. And that meets on tonight. Amen. 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 Good to see our friends here. I was, my mind was racing. I, I glanced at you and then I thought, I haven't seen you for a while, but it's nice to see you back, folks. God bless you. God bless you. And other friends that are here tonight, today, it's good to see you. I want to re remind all of our first-time guests, please stop by and Tom and Joyce will shake your hand, hug your neck, and put a nice gift in your hand. Amen. Everyone standing, we dismiss you now in the name of the Lord. Go with God, be blessed, and be a blessing. Pastor Devin also has some CDs that I know he would uh, love to have you have in your cars and in your homes, $10. Why don't you get a CD and you can enjoy this great, great voice everywhere you go. God bless everybody.